0: Tonight, we're going to look at a book that I was a little bit familiar with. I don't know about you guys, but I had not spent a lot of time in the book of Nehemiah. But it's been a blessing for me to be able to uh, study this book and really uh, learn more about this book and how it applies, um, how really it kind of has applied directly in my life uh, recently kind of looking at Nehemiah. And so, one of the benefits, I think, of having an opportunity to teach, and I hope you guys, a lot of you guys, uh, in the future, if you have opportunity to be able to share God's Word, whether it's individually with somebody or in a setting like this, I encourage you to do it. and um, Because it, it not only benefits your other brothers and sisters in Christ, but absolutely it benefits you because... It forces you to study. I think uh, Joseph and, and Josh and everybody in here that has taught, uh, if you teach on a regular basis, it requires that you study God's Word, which is a good thing. And and I'm sure Josh would, would testify that a lot of times it's more beneficial to us as we study God's Word. So I want to encourage y'all, if y'all have the opportunity in the future, to... Um, Don't be ashamed, you know, take those opportunities as God gives you in the future to to tell about the hope that is in you. So with that said, we're going to start uh, the book of Nehemiah. Now, as y'all have noticed, I have uh, given you this sheet right here that's six pages front and back, three pages front and back, excuse me, but a lot of this is Scripture, But there's going to be things, there's going to be questions and I'm going to really need y'all to focus and really need y'all to help me as we go through the scripture so we can really understand um, what the Lord has got for us tonight um, in the book of Nehemiah. So we're going to learn about how God used Nehemiah for his purpose and how God used him to help rebuild the wall in jerusalem and this was this happened around 445 bc that's pretty much an estimate of of when when this took place and so um, there are a lot of lessons as i went through this this book there's 13 chapters Um, there's a lot of lessons that we as believers can benefit um, from this book and tonight we're just going to try to highlight a couple of those things because obviously you can't get through a whole book in, in a night uh, that's 13 chapters. So we're going to really kind of focus on the first couple of chapters and uh, try to ask the Lord if He will help us apply these principles in our life so ultimately that we can serve Him better. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to worship the Lord and we're here to learn more about Him and ultimately how to serve Him better. And, and to be a better servant of Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer tonight that as we look at uh, the book of Nehemiah and these first couple of chapters that, um, that the Lord will do that in each one of our hearts, including, including myself. So let me tell you all about the setting, what we got going on. Uh, this is, like I mentioned, um, it, it's the 5th century before Christ. And during this time frame, Israel uh, we're, we're looking at the Babylonian captivity and as written in in the book of Daniel which is kind of interesting um, the Jews had been in exile for 70 years you can go back and you can read that prophecy in Daniel and so God's people had began returning to Jerusalem and there had been a couple of different like this is a period of about a hundred years and there had been a couple of periods where people were starting to return um, to Israel. And so um, during this time, the, the city was in ruins and the walls that surrounded Jerusalem, which was extremely important during this time frame to have a wall, you know, uh, it, it was in shambles. And so it was um, in really bad shape. And so um, as we as we look at this section, we're gonna we're going initially let's let's talk about Nehemiah. So who was Nehemiah? And this is kind of at the bottom of your first page here. So when we when we read the first couple of chapters, at the end of chapter one, we find out that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Art. Arch- Xerxes, I think that's how you pronounce it. Is that how you pronounce it, Josh? Close enough. Okay. So um, so I was reading about what is a cupbearer. It's not something that we really, I mean, I, I didn't really know what a cupbearer was. Without looking at your notes, anybody in here know who, what a cupbearer is? Um, they, they to make sure. Very good. You knew that? Who taught you that? Oh, well, good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I, I probably could not have answered that question. I know I couldn't have at your age, but that that's exactly right. So uh, during this time, this time frame, there were a lot of people, a lot of Hebrews, after when people started returning, there were a lot of people that had... Um, that stayed put, you know, that they were had not yet returned to Israel, Israel, or they were not going to return, and um, and so Nehemiah was one of these people. He was he had this function, like you mentioned, he was a cupbearer, and so what he did is he tasted the quality of the wine, but it also, like she mentioned, the young lady mentioned, uh, to make sure that it wasn't wasn't poison. But this was a very important position to have. And it was a position that was um, where the cupbearer was a trusted person in front of the king and maybe may have been an advisor and a friend and was someone that uh, had a very high position. So that's, um, that's who Nehemiah was. So he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a scribe. He was just a man that had a high position. He was, he was a Hebrew, but he had a high position in the government. And he was, um, the, he was of major influence, or, or God chose him. And I think after reading and studying this, that God knew what he was doing. God always knows what he's doing. But he put Nehemiah in this position for his purpose. So with that said, learning a little bit about the background of Nehemiah, let's look at chapter 1. And so the first five or four verses of chapter 1, can I get a volunteer, somebody that's got a good loud voice to read verses 1 through 4? Go ahead, buddy. That's why I'm getting you to read this. There's a couple more. Go ahead. Okay, so let's stop right there. So the question is, and has everybody got a pen? Because you're, you're going to be kind of writing and filling this stuff in. Um, but how does Nia, how does Nehemiah respond to this alarming news that he gets from his brother? So what he just read there this I'm kind of setting it up So here's the cup bearer, bear Nehemiah. His brother comes with men from Judah and they, they give the report that the Jews that were there that had escaped and survived, they were in big time trouble and that the wall was broken down and the gates had been destroyed. So verse 4 is what I really want you to focus on. So let's talk about and I want you to write down some of the main points that we see and how Nehemiah responded to the report. What's the first thing that he did? Look at verse 4. He sat, down and he, wept. he sat down and he wept. So obviously, he was genuinely concerned. I mean, Think about that. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, and you hear news about a, your people, about God's people. And that's what happened. He's hearing this news, this devastating news about God's people. So he sat down and wept. I mean that's that's you don't sit down and weep and fake that. You know what I mean? So this was a genuine concern that he had and a burden that he had. What else did he do? He mourned for days. Not just you hear some bad no- news about somebody and say, oh man, that's bad. Uh, by the way, what are we having for supper tonight? Have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever heard a bad report about a brother or a sister in Christ or a friend? And, and, and not that you're not concerned, but you, know, you kind of get over it kind of quickly and your mind kind of goes elsewhere sometimes. And, and it's not that you don't love them or you don't care about them. It's just you got your own stuff that you're kind of dealing with in your mind. Well, think about Nehemiah. He didn't react that way at all. He sat down. He stopped what he was doing. He wept And he mourned. And, and like you pointed out, for many days, what else did he do? Fasted. Fasted. And he what? And he prayed. Okay, so I was thinking about looking at how Nehemiah responded and um, said he fasted. How many of you guys in this room right now, including adults, have fasted before? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Um, the ones of you that have fasted, do you feel like you fast enough? I don't. I mean, you know, I got kind of convicted because I think that's kind of a lost thing in the Christian faith um, that we fast, that we sacrifice. And um, and, and really, in times of great need, in times of great trouble, um, the Lord can do some mighty things when we fast. So, don't think just because we're in a day and time where maybe Christians are not fasting uh, like maybe they did. You know, maybe it's something that's important. That's just something, that's just an opinion of mine, something for you guys to think about and to consider. But when you're fasting, you're sacrificing food or water or something, and you're really seeking the Lord and looking for answers from Him. So, I kind of feel like that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was genuinely burdened and he wanted to uh, come before the Lord. Um, you know, it said that he continued fasting and praying. And when I thought about, you know, I thought about the verse in 1 um, Thessalonians, I think it's 5 uh, 17, where it says that we should pray without ceasing, you know. And so when, when we pray, or as a believer in Jesus Christ, God calls us to pray pray continually you know that's um that's a difficult thing to do because we all have different things on our mind but god has called you to commune with him through prayer and and so praying without ceasing is really not a suggestion it's it's a, a new testament command and so we see that nehemiah was practicing that he was absolutely praying and fasting continually so now, as, you, as we move down t- to verse 5 through 11, what brave soul, I'm pretty sure that there's not any names, would you read really 5 through 11 for us? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. So um, so here's his Nehemiah's prayer. And so what I want us to do, and it might be a little difficult unless you have your Bible because you're going to have to flip back over to look at each verse. Um, or you can open it up to where you can... Well, let's see. No, you're not going to be able to... Yeah, you will. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, I think that if you have your Bible, it might help you because we're going to kind of examine and break down these verses and try to point out some uh, observations about this prayer that Nehemiah has. So focusing on verse 5, let's look at verse 5. What kind of observations can you make um, about Nehemiah's prayer at the beginning of his prayer in 5? What does he do? He is. He's praising God for sure. And he's acknowledging, and this is just kind of what I, when I looked at this, he's acknowledging God's greatness and awesomeness. So the very first thing he does is he acknowledges how mighty and how powerful and how great and how awesome God is. And then he also acknowledges in verse five, that God keeps His covenant in steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Okay? So, He not only is a great and awesome God, He is a God that keeps His promises and keeps His, His love to those who love Him. So, He's, he's acknowledging God's greatness. And in verse 6, let's look at verse 6. What what is he What does he do in verse 6? Let me kind of break it down for you cuz I've kind of been studying it and you got to look at it. I've had a lot of time looking at it. So, verse 6, basically what he's saying is he says is, is he's pleading with the Lord and he's saying, please listen, please see, and please hear the prayer of your servant. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, listen with your ear, see, and hear the prayer of your servant. And then he prays day and night, continually just like we were talking about earlier you know when when he first got the report he was praying continually and so he prays day and night continually for Israel for and he says your servants you know he puts the emphasis on you know i'm praying for your people lord and he's confessing the sins of the people and not only is He confessing the sins of the people, He's confessing His sins, and He's confessing the sins of His Father and the sins of His family. So we, we see confession here. We see repentance and, and acknowledging that, um, that His people, God's people, have sinned against Him. In verse 7, we see, if you look at verse 7, he says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So he's acknowledging again and confessing sin, saying that we have been disobedient. So he's telling God and praying what God already knows. Does God already know these things? Absolutely, he does. But the way that he models this prayer is, is, I think, a very humbling way to come to the Lord. Acknowledging His greatness. Acknowledging how awesome He is. Um, asking the Lord, pleading with the Lord to listen to me. Hear my prayer, Lord. And, and that's what he's doing. He, he's reminding the Lord, which the Lord already knows, that I'm your servant, and these are your servants, and we've sinned against you. And then in verse 8 and 9 are pretty interesting. In verse 8, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And then verse 9, But, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though, you're out, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make My name dwell there. So what he's doing in these two verses in verse 8 and 9, is, is he's saying, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses? And so what... Scripture He's talking about, if you wanted to take a note and maybe go back and look, in Deuteronomy 28.64 is when the Lord said that He was going to scatter His people if they weren't obedient, if they didn't keep the Word, if they didn't do what God told them to do. And we've seen this pattern of Israel and God's people throughout the Scriptures of them being disobedient. So God did nothing but fulfill His promise with this Babylonian captivity. That's what He did. So obviously Nehemiah, not a prophet, not a preacher, not a scribe, but a regular man in a high-ranking uh, position in the go- in the government. You know, he knew these. He knew the Scripture. He knew what was going on, and he knew the prophecies, and he. Reminded the Lord of his promises. But but more importantly, or maybe more importantly, here in verse 9, he says, If you but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them. And so that scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 through 5. So he's saying. What the Lord said, the Lord said, if you return and keep my commandments, I will gather and bring back to the place that I have chosen, which was Jerusalem. Okay? So he was bringing, he was already fulfilling this promise, and this had been going on for maybe close to 100 years of people that were coming back to Jerusalem. So here's Nehemiah aware exactly of what's going on. But he didn't just jump into this thing, remember, he fasted. He prayed. He mourned. Many days. Okay? This is something that, you know, this is not just a gut reaction. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No. So he's pleading with the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. And he repeats Scripture that was already written about God's promises of dispersing, scattering, and bringing back. And so, in verse 10, he says, they are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So here Nehemiah acknowledges to God that these are His people. These are your people, God. These are your servants, and you have redeemed them by your great power and your great hand. So he acknowledges that God is the deliverer. God is the redeemer. And he acknowledges that. And then in that last verse, in verse 11, he he says, Lord, let Your ear be attentive to the prayer of Your servant and to the prayer of Your servants who delight to fear Your name and give success to Your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now, I was a cupbearer to the king. So that's when we find out that he was a cupbearer after this prayer. Okay, So I already shared that with you all from the beginning, but, but we really don't find out you know, what his position was. But at the end of this prayer, I believe, and I could be wrong here, but when I look at verse 11, basically what he's saying, I don't think I'm wrong about this part of it, but he's saying, listen to my prayer, Lord in the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and he's asking he's saying lord give us give your servant success and grant me mercy to this man and i think he's talking about the king i don't know if you have thought that josh because when you read the next verses when we begin chapter 2 then we we the king is is introduced so I think, as he, I think at the very end of this prayer, when he says, um, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, that I think that he is asking, asking the Lord, hey, give me favor with the king here. Because he's, he's a willing vessel, I, I believe, to do whatever God wants him to do. And he's praying for wisdom here. So now we're going to get into chapter 2, and we're going to read exactly what happens. And let's see here, I'm looking for another volunteer to read eight verses. And it can be a leader if one of the kids don't want to do it. Go ahead, buddy. What's your name? Okay, go ahead, Aaron. Yep. Very good. Okay. So, um, eight verses, but a lot in it. Okay? So we're going to look at it. We're going to look at, um, at a few questions here that I want to ask you guys. And this is um, at the top of the next page here after that first eight verses in chapter 2. So, how do you think I want you to think back for a few minutes ago. How do you think that the way that Nehemiah initially responded to this bad news that he got, that he received in chapter 1, and the pattern of his prayer to God may have affected the way the king responded to him? Kind of got to think about it. But, you know, from, from what we just read here, how do you think that the way that Nehemiah, that Nehemiah responded to the bad news that he got and, and the time that he took, you know, how do you think that that might have affected the way that he dealt with the king? Go ahead. Amen. That's very good. Anybody else have any any comments? Yeah, th- this is. Go ahead. Did you have something? I'm sorry. I'm blind and I can't hear, but other than that, my other senses are pretty good. <laughs> um. So this is a couple of things that I was thinking about. So he didn't respond. Rashly or on impulse you know when he heard the bad news he 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 wasn't you know he didn't just jump and immediately go to the king as a matter of fact we don't know how long of a period of time this is it may have been a month or two could have been between when he gets the report of the bad news of what's going on in Jerusalem with the walls being breached and the gates being burned up and and the people distressed. So, you know, he was obviously, he, he was grieved, and he prayed, and, um, and fasted like we learned about. He did that continually. But, kind of like what you alluded to, he was patient, okay? That's one of the lessons I think that we can learn is that he was, he was very patient, and he sought the Lord's will, Okay? He didn't just—he um, was waiting on the Lord's timing, I believe, and and so, like you said, the Lord—he had petitioned the Lord and said, you know, give me favor. I believe that's what he was when he was praying. You know, have mercy. I'm willing to do whatever. So when you get into this section of Scripture, to me, it's pretty interesting that when he goes in front of the king, he didn't have to ask the king anything, did he? The king just saw his countenance and saw that he was disturbed and knew something was wrong. So evidently he had a relationship with the king to the point to where the king knew something was wrong. You know, recently my son's been sick. A lot of you guys I know have been praying for my oldest son, Rusty. And he's been really sick. And I've talked to a few people and a few people have said, and I could tell just by your voice, you know, and my countenance, I'm sure. My countenance was probably downtrodden and burdened, you know, about my son. And so people whom you love and people that you're around, they can tell when you're sad, you know. And so Nehemiah wasn't really trying to hide his emotions, I don't think. He was just being Nehemiah. And so the king noticed. The king took notice and said, why are you sad? And so when when the king did that, that opened the door. That opened the door for Nehemiah to tell him. In verse 3, he says, you know, uh, why shouldn't my face be sad? when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. You know, so, you know, when, when the king opened the door, then he said, yeah, this is what's going on. So what does the king say? The very next verse. I think it's verse uh, 4. What's he say? What do you request? You know, So he think about this. What if when he got the news from his brother in chapter one and he immediately went to the king in just an uproar and upset, and you know, the king could have took his head off, maybe. You know, a lot of times, you know, I think that maybe the way that we respond to difficult situations and difficult circumstances, although we might mean well, You know we can learn some lessons from the way that Nehemiah responded. He absolutely was patient and grieved and fasted and prayed and waited and allowed the Lord to open the door. So, kind of what's cool is um, when he did open the door, man. He, you know, he he gave him some more requests there, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, what kind of wisdom do, you, do we see in how Nehemiah presented himself to the king in, the, in these verses? What kind of wisdom do you think that we can draw from, uh, from those verses? We talk, I just talked a pretty good bit about, about what he did. Um, one thing he didn't... Go ahead, go ahead. I think so too. And and he wasn't trying to put on a show. Yeah, It's a very good point. Yeah, because he'd had time to process this and like you said, to think about it and, and pray about it. And, and he had a plan. It wasn't just just haphazardly uh, going into this thing. That's exactly right. Um, this next question, So how can we learn from the way Nehemiah handled himself in this situation? And apply it to our to our lives. Let's think of some real life examples here, um, and I'll just kind of I'll kind of uh, set it up for you. Let's say, for instance, that you get some news, some bad news, you know, about somebody you love, maybe somebody in your family, or or um, how should you handle that? What what lessons can we learn from the way that Nehemiah responded? To the bad news about God's people in Jerusalem, what do you think we could do next time we're hit with some bad news? Amen. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, just and and that's why I think it's it's so awesome. And like I said at the very beginning. You know, I want to challenge you guys that, that know the Lord and are studying His Word and are here tonight because you could be doing other things, but you're here, you know. I want to challenge you to, to dig deeper. You know, you got some youth leaders, you got a pastor that loves you and wants to see you grow. And you don't grow in God's Word without digging into it yourself. And even sometimes when you're forced to do it, I mean, it could be a good—I shouldn't say forced—but you know, when you, when you're going to teach, you know, you, you need to be prepared. Otherwise, you're going to look like a dummy when you get up there. Like I'm sure I probably probably do anyway. But but anyway, my point is that these things that we're drawing out, that y'all are helping me draw out, is from us looking intently at the Word of God and seeing exactly what it says and looking at how these verses flow and how the Holy Spirit can take these things and impress them upon our soul and we can learn from it. Um, So let's let's move on. So now we're going to look and we're going to finish this chapter, y'all. Who will be so kind to read these 9 through 20? It's a pretty big section. Joseph, you got a pretty good, strong voice, brother. Would you read that for us? Okay. Thank you, Joseph. Joseph. So, we're going to look at a few of these verses. So, now we see what what the plan is. Now Nehemiah has went to Jerusalem and he's kind of surveying and seeing what's going on. So, the first question I've got is what does verse 10 and verse 19 tell us about the opposition that Nehemiah faced? If you read verse 10, you see these, these guys with these weird names that Joseph did a good job of pronouncing. You know, when they heard that he was there to help God's people, they didn't like it. And then in verse 19 down here at the bottom, the same thing. They jeered and, and despised You know, and said, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And so, the point that I want to try to make and want you guys to to think about is that there are people, absolutely, there are people who oppose God. They oppose God's people and His work. And so, do not be surprised if the world hates you. You know, that's one of the things that you will learn as being a believer in Jesus Christ is that you're going to face opposition. And, and I've, I've got this quote here from J.C. Ryle that I think is, is really good for us to kind of, that kind of emphasizes this point. First, I've got 2 Timothy 3.12 where you guys, this is what, what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It says, "...indeed, all who desire..." to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You probably will not hear that at a charismatic church. You can watch Joel Osteen this weekend, and I promise you he's not going to talk to you about being persecuted. He's not going to say if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. It's not a very popular message, but yet it's a it's truth. So Nehemiah was facing opposition. And he was facing, you know, he's doing what God's told him to do. And, and he very eloquently was, was exercising this plan, but immediately he runs into the op- this opposition. And so um, this was something, that I, the, a quote that, that I'll just read to you guys. Uh, Do not be surprised if the world hates you. Let it be a settled principle in our minds that the true Christian must always enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Their best things are yet to come. This world is not our home. If we are faithful and decided servants of Christ, the world will certainly hate us as it hated our Master. In one way or another, grace will always be persecuted. No consistency of conduct, however faultless, no kindness, no am- amability. I'm not even, I don't even know what that word means, but it must be pretty important. Drew, what does that word mean? Okay. Uh, However striking will exempt a believer from the world's dislike so long as they live. It is foolish to be surprised at this. It is a it is mere waste of time to murmur at it. It is part of the cross, and we must bear it patiently. Marvel not, my brother and John, if the world hates you. If you were of the world, says our Lord, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So, yeah, that's a lot, but it illustrates the the point. Go ahead. Thank you very much. We all learned a new word. Um, Yeah, that's good. But um, I, I emphasize this because this is the opposition that Nehemiah was, was facing at the very beginning when he does go to Jerusalem. He's, he's facing opposition. And of course, we don't have time to go into the rest of the book, but we see how wisely um, Nehemiah deals with the opposition and, and we'll point out a few of those points here in just a, um, a minute. Um, Look at verse twenty. How does he deal with it in verse twenty? Anybody? He does, and you know he just he. He says that the Lord is going to be the one, the God of heaven will make us prosper. You're not going to prevent the Lord from doing His work. So he acknowledges that this work that God has set forth for him to do, that any success is going to be because of God. And, you know, the Word of God says that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And so, as believers, and those are some negative things that we just went over, I mean, it's hard to be encouraged to say, uh, Lord, I want to live godly because I want to suffer. I want to suffer persecution. But if you really look at the reality of how God chose you out of this world to transform you into the image of His Son who was beaten and persecuted for nothing, so, you know, so if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ and you're trying to live a life that brings honor and glory to the Lord, then you will be persecuted. It won't be in the form of fashion that maybe some of the martyrs, um, people who lost their life over, but it could be. But be encouraged that God's in complete control. You know, I'm not trying to bring everybody down. This is just a reality of what it means to be a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, how can we learn from Nehemiah the way that we sh- should respond to those who oppose the work of God? How should we respond? We just read it in verse 20. Well, I think that's a good point. You know, I think the primary thing is to understand that God's in control. To trust in him, and that he 's the one who fights our battles you know it 's the Lord who fights our our battles and and once you realize that nothing can happen to you that hasn't already been ordained, you know you know every single thing that happens, that means that God has allowed it to happen, even when you fail, but ultimately he 's going to work those things together to Perform His will, and and so once you rest in that and understand that He is sovereign and that He that He is in complete control, then absolutely um, it should give you peace, knowing that that He's going to complete that good work that He started in you. We're just about done, y'all. How are we doing on time? We got we we got a few minutes. Um. So, a question here, another question. Why do you think Nehemiah waited before he told anyone what God had put in his heart to do? I don't know if you noticed those first few verses, but when he got there, he, he really didn't just right away tell everybody what he was there to do. Why do you think that he waited? Any idea? I think, and this is just speculation here, but I think maybe that he waited because he didn't feel the timing was right. You know, if you're trusting God, just like Nehemiah did from the very beginning, he was patient, he prayed, he fasted for many days before he even went to the king. He didn't even have to tell the king what was going on. The king saw his countenance and understood that he was in distress and wanted to know what was going on. So even when he finally goes to Jerusalem, then he didn't just immediately tell the officials why he was there. He kind of went at night to kind of survey everything and check it out. And then when the time was right is when he told the people. So I think it's a lesson in patience. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with Philippians 4-6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." I believe that Nehemiah was absolutely an Old Testament lesson of a person who did exactly what we're commanded to do here in Philippians 4. He absolutely was not anxious. He went to the Lord in prayer and supplication. He was thankful for God's greatness, and he let his request be made known unto God, and God answered those things in, his, in God's timing. So we're on the last page, on the back page right now. So, if you decide to read Nehemiah for yourself, it's 13 chapters, won't take you that long. You know, you'll see that the wall is being rebuilt in chapter 3. And you'll see that Nehemiah dealt with a lot of opposition and, and how he worked um, to help reform God's people and to revive Israel. You know, he with Ezra... Y'all just finished the book of Ezra. You know, this was kind of the same time frame. So Ezra was here had, had actually arrived... Uh, like 12 or 13 years earlier th- than um, when Nehemiah was there. So, our focus has been on these first two chapters. And as believers, as Christians, um, this is kind of what I've got out of it, y'all. That the first thing is that we should have a genuine love for God's people. And we should truly care about their well-being. And I think that Nehemiah absolutely reflects that. I mean, you go back and you look at verse four in the first chapter and see how he responded to the to the news, you know. I've noticed, and I mentioned earlier about my son, you know, being sick, and I've seen this outpouring of love from a lot of people in this room, you know. And I've seen people praying for my family and praying for my son and just pouring out their heart and pleading with the Lord on behalf of my family and my children. That is awesome. And that's part of, of being a connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ because we love one another. We pray for one another. Just as Nehemiah absolutely, genuinely wept and mourned and was grieved over this report. So we as Christians, and kind of what I've kind of got out of this study, is that we should, have, we should not only be willing to pray for people, but to also pray and ask God how we might help them in that situation. You know, it's easy to pray. You know, it is. Sometimes it's hard, but we can say, oh yeah, would, hey, would you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah, man. You know, and, and you might ask somebody, hey, what would you pray? Or somebody might ask you, and you pray, but, but this is the thing, is yeah, a lot of times it's got to do with doing something. And the Scripture that I thought about, which is one which I'm sure I know all the leaders are familiar with, and you've probably heard this as well, but in James one twenty two, it says, and this is a commandment, this is not a suggestion, but it says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So this should be the normal behavior of a believer is to... to when, when we hear a bad report about our brothers and sisters, we should seek the Lord on how we can pray for them and what we might could do to help them. You wouldn't believe what an impact that has on people, when you genuinely care and you love them, and then you not just pray, but you do something—if it's bringing a meal or, or offering, even offering to do something—it means so much to people. You just don't know. And I'm 59 years old, and I'm just still learning these things. You know, I'm learning how God's people come together and just try to hold you up. And it's an awesome thing. I know everybody in this room, I'm sure, can testify of how, how good God is and how He does that. Um, a few verses of Scripture that I'll leave you with. In John 13, 34, and 35, this is the Lord Jesus, and He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. So when we love other people, when we love other Christians, really it's evidence that we are in Christ. So that's one thing. When you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and you like being around other Christians, do you know that that's proof that you're a true believer? Because if you can't stand being around God's people, then you probably are not in faith. So one of the things about loving other people is that that is evidence that you truly are a child of the Most High God and it testifies to the world. People see when you love your brother and sister and when you care for other people, then the people who are lost, they see that. And it makes an impact. And it's really a way of sharing Christ with others because that's what Jesus said. People will know because you love one another. So it's an evidence and it's really pretty awesome. And then this other Scripture here in James, and this is talking about, you know, this is misinterpreted I think a lot, and I, I hope I don't uh, misinterpret the Scripture. I think I have an understanding of what James is saying here. Does that mean that we have to work our way to heaven? That we have to do good works to have favor with God? No, not at all. So what James is saying is that if you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, yet you hate your brother, and John talks about that, then you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. So who you are is evidenced by the way that you act. We're just talking about loving one another if you don't love your brethren, then that's probably evidence that you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. So when he's saying faith without works is dead, what he's saying is that true faith manifests itself in good works. So if you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, then your actions will speak of that. It's not that you're doing things or good deeds to try to earn favor with God or with other people. It's just evidence. It's just the fruit in your life of what God's doing and what God's, how He's changing you. How He gives you love for other people. How He gives you concern that you wouldn't have had if you weren't in Christ. Because you'd be caring about yourself and yourself only. You wouldn't care about other people. So, I think that's all that I'm trying to say here is if you look at Nehemiah, is that, yes, he prayed. Yes, he fasted. Yes, he pleaded with the Lord. But when it came down to it and God put in his heart what to do, guess what? He got busy. And he did it. So he was obedient to his calling. He understood that God was in control. He understood that it was the Lord that had placed him in this position as the cupbearer to the king for this appointed time so he could help fulfill the prophecy that was written about in Daniel so we serve an awesome god there's no question about that nehemiah acknowledges that in his prayer he acknowledges how god how awesome he is so i pray tonight that hopefully i know it was a lot but i hope that you were able to absorb some of the truth of, of God's Word here. And I hope you're able to to see uh, how awesome God is and, um, and that you might serve Him better by focusing on His Son, Jesus Christ, and how you can uh, be a better servant to Him. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we just... Do thank You for tonight, Lord. And I just thank You for the opportunity that You give us to come and, and um, freely bring forth Your Word. How Your Holy Spirit can work through anybody, even somebody like me, that You saved out of this world and uh, delivered from darkness and made alive. And Lord, I just thank You for that. I thank You for the opportunity to uh, share... Your truth, I thank You, Lord, that, um, that You desire that all would focus on Your truth and study Your Word. I know that it is Your will, Lord, that these young people would have a hunger and a thirst for Your Word. And it's my prayer, Lord, that they might even look at this couple of chapters in Nehemiah and see how rich Your Word is if you dig it apart and you focus on it. I pray, God, that You would just strengthen them by Your Spirit in the inner man, Lord, that we might grow in Your knowledge, that You might reveal to these young people Your deep truths and that they might humble themselves before You, Lord. And God, that You would just do a mighty work in their lives, Lord. I know this is a time of uh, being young and we have a, a lot of different things that we're thinking about and focusing on but we know You've got them here for a purpose and You've put them in this ministry for a purpose, Lord. And so God, I just pray that they would turn to You completely, that they would hand over every area and aspect of their life to You, Lord, and that You would just do a mighty work in each one of them, Lord. And we just pray that You might receive glory from this. And we ask these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.